Hello and welcome to the We Are Geeks, a Nightmare on Elm Street podcast from wearetessellate.com, where every Friday we will be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. The We Are Geeks podcast series is published by We Are Tessellate, and it is a completely independent podcast series. We Are Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Come to Freddy. Beautiful. Hello and welcome to our very special A Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective franchise throwback podcast scenario thing. We're on episode four. We're getting a little bit crazy. <laughs> if you're not watching the YouTube versions of these, you should, because Alex has lost his mind right now. Just type in We Are Tessellate, type in Geeks on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel. Uh, yeah, once a week, we are watching the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. We are on number four, The Dream Master. Made in 1988, directed by Rennie Harlan, who uh, is, without a doubt, I mean, not at the time when it was made, but probably the most, uh, the biggest film. I mean, I know Wes Craven's the most famous out of everyone, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I would argue this man's made more films that more people have seen. Oh, yeah? What has Rennie made? Let me get right to it. (laughs) He made, because bear in mind, Wes Craven made the Scream series. You know, he made people on stairs. He made all these like old old horror films that most people won't have seen, if but they will have heard of. I, th- mm-hmm. I would say the Scream films are the majority of films that people have seen of his. Yep. Brian Hay Harlan made went on to do Die Hard Two, never heard it. The Long Kiss Goodnight, mm. Cliffhanger, oh yeah, uh, Deep Blue Sea, mm-hmm. Cutthroat Island, what? Um, and my personal favorites, Mind Hunters and Twelve Rounds. He's a slick director making slick films um so i've got to tell you even though my enthusiasm was waning with number three i was excited to get to this one yeah uh, i knew the budget was three times more than the last one 14 million dollars um i got the statistics it's right. the highest budget million. so far right by far by, by far. far so it was nearly two million for the first one three million for the second one five million for the third one 13 million for this what one. a jump huge jump um and it ended up breaking in the most so far, nearly fifty million dollars. Only a little bit more though than the last one, which must have had them kicking themselves because that one cost three times less money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but still, huge return. Thirteen million got fifty million back. Just a box office. Well done, then. Well done. We applaud you. Um, Number four. But as I used to say on the Friday Thirteenth in any retrospective franchise, if you make a bad film, you don't feel the impact on that episode you feel on the next one so it'll be interesting when we get to the next one how many people go to see that because people then you know their enthusiasm in the series has waned and they won't come to get next one but they've already gone to see that one you know so what I mean? are you saying that this one was bad i'm saying it reflects in ticket it's <laughs> like uh so we're recording at a time when the turtles 2 films come out out of the shadows and a lot of people are saying it's a better film than the first one it is tanked at the cinema because yeah. people didn't like the first one so they're not going to go and see the second one even if it's better Fuck you, you know turtles. I mean? But that money's already there for the first one. And the problem is what that tells the producers is the first one's the way to go because that one made the money. Even though critically and publicly, people seem to like the second one more. All right. 
Interesting thing with this one, Robert Englund top billing on the front cover of the posters. It says Robert yeah. Englund starring. When the titles come up, it says Robert Englund in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. He hasn't had that before. <sighs> no. All about Freddy. Clear, clear thing now. You're here. He's the man. For Robert. Yeah. For old Bobster. Yeah. Bobby Englund. Um, it also says a Rennie Harlan film at the beginning, which is kind of funny because he's done, I think, a couple of films before here. He is, uh, he is Finnish, I think. Where is, where do I have my information? He's getting started. From Finland. Um, so it's kind of ballsy for him to get that, particularly how he got this job. Do you know how he got this job? How did he get this job? It's quite funny. Um, so I'm going to read this out here. This is actually from verbatim from a website, which I should really be quoting who they are so we don't get in trouble. They're called like We Minded in Film School or something like that. We Minded in Film, I think, or something. Uh, Harlan came from Finland to Hollywood to seek his fortunes, having already directed an action film in Finland called Born American. However, by 1988, he'd only landed one job in Hollywood, which was directing the horror film Prison, which incidentally directly led to Kane Hodder landing the part of Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 6. Uh, Harlan was reduced to living in a tiny one-room apartment with a friend living on cans of beans. I'm sick of these beans. <laughs> this is badly <laughs> uncanny. When he interviewed for the Elm Street 4 gig, New Line boss Bob Shea just saw a big, tall Finnish guy whose accent sometimes made him difficult to understand. Shea could not see how Harlan could understand the horror genre or even be understood by the actors on set, so they gave him a firm no. But I want to direct this film. To them, the negotiations were over, but to Harlan, they'd only just begun. I've only got started. You should... You <laughs> You should take this as good advice for both of us. Okay. If we're trying to get a job in film and they give you a firm, no, we're really not even slightly interested. Yeah. This is what you should do. Rather than accept the rejection, Harlan started showing up at New Line offices on a daily basis. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> repeatedly requesting to speak with Shea for a variety of reasons. They didn't like any of the other directors who came in for meetings. And Harlan just was always there. <laughs> Eventually, his persistence won the day to some degree because he was so clearly impoverished that his clothes never seemed to change from day to day and he began to smell. They had... <laughs> Bob Shea jokes that they had to hire him just so that they, he could afford some new clothes and stop bugging them. Um, oh, dearie me. Oh, dearie me. And it, it was very good for his career because uh, straight away after this, Rennie Harling got a call from Spielberg. Um, but eventually, he decided to go with Joel Silver. And uh, shoot Die Hard 2, which came out in 1990. Um, I promise I'll very well shower for, for this. Although Cutthroat Island in 94 was one of the biggest box office bombs in history, uh, potentially ever. And he just had another one with Legend of Hercules, which did not do well. Um, he did Hercules? The, what, the not that one? one, Legend of Hercules. Um, not sure about it. I don't know about that one. Anyway, just thought that was interesting how the director got his job. Just keep on turning up and smell, basically. Yeah, don't wash. Keep turning up at the offices. Brilliant. Oh, that'll do it. So, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master, or The Dream Master. What's it about? What happens? Let me try to encapsulate this movie. Good luck. I'm going to go I'm gonna go broad sweeps here because... Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. So, you're picking up directly, really, where 3 finished, or fairly soon afterwards. You have mm -hmm. Kincaid from the last one. You have Joey from the last one. Yep. You have Kristen from the, the last one. The three survivors. Three survivors. Joey oh. and Kincaid played by the same people. Uh, Kristen was not. Patricia Arquette did not come back. There's a variety of rumors to do with money, but the biggest rumor seems to be that she happened to be pregnant at that time. Right. So she didn't want to continue for that reason. Um, so they're back. For the first 40 minutes of the movie, they're actually the leads. 
they've all just seemed to hang out in dreams together now for fun. Uh, but at the beginning of this movie, Kristen, who we don't realize is Kristen for a while because it's a different actress. Took me a while. I think until you told me. Well, I think no, one when, of them when said Kid it out K loud. Came on yeah. screen, I was like, "Whoa, he's back in it!" And then he goes, "Kristen." And you're yeah. like, oh, we've been watching <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> yeah. Um, she gets the feeling that Freddie's back um, for a variety of reasons that we'll get into in a minute. Um, she's now hanging out at school with a new friend called Alice, who looks a lot like Sissy Spacek. You were saying from Carrie, yeah, I'd agree. Um, who's got a brother called Rick, who she is dating. Kristen is now dating this dude called Rick, who looks like a poor man's version of Rob Lowe. I would agree with that too. From that Roblo of that era. Of that era. Yeah. Holy shit. Not West Wing Roblo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, yeah, it's West Wing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, she starts thinking that Freddie perhaps isn't dead, um, but Kincaid and Joey don't believe her. Of course, Freddie is not dead. He comes back to life by a dog pissing fire on his grave. In the junkyard. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes back to life, kills Kincaid. They begin to get scared. He kills Joey and then eventually kills Kristen, but not before she passes on her powers through Freddy to Alice um, of being able to bring people into her dreams. She brings Alice into the dream where she is killed as well. So Alice gets visual confirmation that yes, Freddy exists and mm-hmm. you should be scared of this dude. After that, it gets a little hazy. Uh, Alice has powers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time one of her friends dies or family, uh, she gains their powers, but we're not Although talking. Although she also summons them into her dreams. Yeah, so she keeps some accidentally summoning people into dreams because I guess it's a new power. She doesn't know how to wield it, um, and then they die yeah. because Freddie seems to be using her to get to the other kids. Because the logic they explain later in a very throwaway sentence is that Freddie has now killed all of the original Elm Street children. And he potentially needs someone to get to the other children. Again, he's not targeting children. He's targeting teenagers. But uh, but he needs By Alice other children, he d- he to just get to other... Just because he wants kids. to keep killing. For yeah. some reason, he can't go into their dreams because they're not connected to his death. But he needs someone to go through to bring them into the dream so he yeah. can kill them that way. So he basically keeps Alice alive and uses her to bring people into a dream so he can kill them. There's a minor lecture at school at one point, which I have to admit, I was almost nodding off during where Bob Shea, the producer, did his seemingly annual cameo in these movies, uh, where he imparts some wisdom about the Dream Master, about a positive portal in the door in your dream and a negative portal and watching over things. Um, There's like a gatekeeper for each one. Yeah. Uh, It seems Alice is this gatekeeper or this Dream Master. Um, (sighs) Yeah. I don't even know how to get into the ending of this movie. Um, it ends up with her deciding she has to utilize everyone's powers by putting all of their trinkets onto her body. The, which she somehow belt, collected. A jacket. Yeah, she's she's grave robbed all of her dead <laughs> friends. Um, martial arts, bandana, that she, all these different things to, I guess, symbolize the powers that her dead friends give her. Mm-hmm. A lot about souls, I guess, in there. Yeah. Um, fights Freddy. Then uses a mirror and i don't know if i missed this in the in the in the lecture we were just talking about bob shea uses a mirror um against freddie because realizes that so i think (laughs) to to fill in that gap for you from my understanding did i miss this um at the very beginning uh her and Kristen had a conversation um 
uh, and Krista was telling her about her nightmares. And Alice said something like, the way you get out of them, uh, I used to say this poem when I was a kid. Oh, yes. But she's like, I can't remember the poem. And so in that last final battle with Freddy, the kids that are always singing they're the singing Freddy the poem, song, they're singing they? the poem, uh-huh. which makes triggers her memory. And um, then the last sentence of it is like evil has to see its reflection see or whatever its reflection. To, to die. Okay. Yeah. So she holds up some mirror, some stained glass. <laughs> Freddy sees his reflection, screams. Yeah. And then all of the souls that he's killed that were in his body in number three are still in his body here. They all start ripping him to pieces, essentially tearing him apart mm-hmm. until he disappears. And then all the souls are free. Saying thank you, bye. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like literally, bye, bye, <laughs> To Alice, Alice wakes up. She's just left with her jock boyfriend, who we'll definitely get to in a minute because he's fantastic. Um, and then all seems good. They're at a wishing. Uh, well, no, no, no. They're just at a fountain. And they mm-hmm. decide to make a wish by throwing a coin in there. She thinks for a second. She sees a reflection of Freddy, and then it's gone. Yeah. Cue credits. That's it. No end shock. No big jump scare. If that sounds like an incomprehensible mess, I promise you it's not my iteration. <laughs> it is a bit of an incomprehensible mess. Um, Alex, how do you want to start with this one? <laughs> <laughs> so for starters, because we didn't get a chance at the end of last week's episode to talk about where you wanted the series to go. I always like to ask you, hey man, as mm-hmm. the person who liked the first one but never saw the sequels, where do you want it to go now? You said you would never have wanted or have guessed that would have it would have started with Kincaid, Joey, and Kristen. Yeah, I, I would, I, I wasn't quite sure exactly where I would have taken it to next, but I felt that that, for me, that narrative thread was done. Obviously, yes, they were the last of the Elm Street children, but I didn't even think of that moving ahead. So, I didn't have a clear idea of where I wanted it to go, but at the same time, I never expected it to start with those same kids. How did you like it starting with the same kids? Well, first of all, the fact that it wasn't Patricia Arquette and that I didn't know that was a bit jarring to begin with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was okay, but it was it was weird in that, you know, the, the build and the expectation for the first 40 minutes, maybe close to an hour, is that you're following these kids again. Mm-hmm. And they slowly get picked, or or at the very least, uh, Kristen or Kirsten or whatever her name is. But then she gets killed as well. <laughs> like It is 40 minutes to the dot, because that's why mm. I checked the time code there, of when yeah. once all three of these kids are dead. And I had memories in my head. I knew they all died near the beginning. In my head, they all died straight away. In my mm-hmm. head, it was the first five minutes, ten minutes of the film. They all get picked off and killed very quickly, and you hand it over to her friend Alice. Yeah. It's 40 minutes of this movie before you really fully hand it over to Alice. Sure, we're introduced to her beforehand, you know, substantially, so I think they think then we're already warmed up to her, which I might have, Because but she's a horrible actress, but we'll get into that as well. Because they did a similar thing in the first one where you follow Nancy's friend. Yes. Uh, before it switches to Nancy being the main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Absolutely. obviously not. But it works. It works. <laughs> it really works. Um, yeah, well, here you focus on three people and then you've got Alice and her brother and then you've got some jock dude who's turning up and then there's a girl whose only defining feature is she lifts weights. Like, there's yep. a lot of characters And then the here. nerdy girl, the nerdy, Steve yeah. Urkel girl yep. with asthma. Yep. Who makes huge contraptions for boys... 
But was I it think boys she or said bugs? No, but I th- thought it was for someone who was having a problem with it or something. Uh, right. But it basically was a bug repellent by sending out, you know, wave signals, which is a real thing. You can get those plugs yeah, yeah. you put in your wall that do it nowadays. She has this Ghostbusters like contraption, <laughs> which then is used later in the movie to make a hole in Freddy's like chest. Yeah, that was really weird. Which I didn't even begin to understand <laughs> what was going on there. They hook it up to... Uh, like you she know, pulls out system. wires from the wall. Yeah, and to then... like boost its signal, I think. Yeah. <sighs> but, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling for words. There's a lot of interesting facts about this film, though, about its, how it was created and its conception. Do you want to hear about Wes Craven on <laughs> this one? Go for it. So, um, like we said last time, every film from two onwards, sorry, from three onwards, they would always ask Craven, do you want to have anything to do with this film? So it seems like every time they asked him, uh, he was willfully trying to destroy the franchise because he didn't want there right. to be one. Um, so initially he suggested, you know, the thing about Freddy invading the real world for the last one, haunting the dreams of the people making it. Uh, then he wanted to make Freddy... Um, where is it? Blah, 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 blah. Da, da, da. Sorry. So for part four, according to the producer, Sarah Risha, Wes Craven's idea was about time travel within dreams that broke all the rules of dreams and was completely illogical. So they decided not to go with that at all. <laughs> uh, he would just apparently turn up and just do these crazy things of, of that no one wanted anything to do with. New Line then, fearful of uh, an impending rider strike at the time, gave their rider, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I'm really sorry, Helgeland, uh, a mere seven days to turn in a script. So he locked himself away at his family, Massachusetts home, and produced a script as fast as he could, just making a deadline. But apparently it was more of a blueprint. It wasn't a finished script. Um, and it became the la- uh, sorry the first film released uh, from him as a writer. Um, but he went on to become an Oscar winner for Mystic River. Uh, and he also wrote L.A. Confidential, Brilliant. Conspiracy Theory, and 42. So there's another Oscar winner attached yeah. to to one of these classy this franchise. Films. Yeah. Uh, not surprisingly, since they'd only given him seven days to write it, New Line didn't love the script. <laughs> <laughs> so even though they had turned down Wes Craven's original pitch, they re- returned and asked him if he would rewrite the script and direct it. Craven said no. Quote. When they had problems with the script, they came to me and my writing partner, Bruce Wagner, to rewrite it. Bruce and I thought, if we're going to be approached, we should be approached as artists of the original material. So New Line went off to do some more work with the script that they had. Then the WGA went on strike from March to August, which lasted 155 days in 1988, making it at the time of this writing the longest strike in WGA history. By the time the strike hit, the Helgeland... Uh, and Coates Winkle helped as well. Script had undergone multiple rewrites, but according to director Rennie Harlem, uh, it was still just a blueprint for the movie. And when the strike hit, no American writer would touch Dreammaster. Instead, it was up to Harlem and his collected producers and actors to simply fill in the story and dialogue gaps, all of their work uncredited, of course, since they couldn't officially do anything to the script. As a result, Harlem claims most of the dream sequences came from his own mind. Quote, mostly I would come up with the nightmares because I had an endless amount of nightmares in my memories from childhood. I wonder if you had the waterbed nightmare. Oh, we'll be talking about the waterbed. <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Apparently, Shea, Robert Bobby Shea, um, the producer was never comfortable with Harlan as director. 
Um, and he never spoke to him on set, even during his cameo in the movie. He refused <laughs> to speak to Rennie Harlan. And it really affected Rennie Harlan's... Like, he thought he was going to be fired any day. Like, every day he came on set thinking, I'm going to be fired today. Well... So a troubled shoot is what I'm trying to get across. The yeah, most yeah. expensive, by a long way, but a troubled shoot. Which could explain how uneven <laughs> this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex... Wow. I I really don't know where to how to get into this film. It's yeah. So you have forty minutes really till we get to our new lead. Mm-hmm. We have a a film that it looks pretty visually good. Yep. Let's talk about let's talk about Freddy. Let's get into it from that side of it then. Okay. Basically for me, at th- this film, Freddy has reached a point of no return, essentially. As far as his character um goes. Because this is the time where they really ramp up his dialogue uh, and his interaction with the characters. Um, and they really, really play on the sort of fantastical, cartoony elements of his character. And... I didn't do it for you. <laughs> for me, it was just kind of... A bit, a bit sad about like, uh, I don't know. I still feel there's like so much potential in this character. I could be graduating if Freddy, I mean, we haven't seen the rest yet. I haven't seen the ones after this. So I don't know what to expect, but I kind of do. But imagine <laughs> like, I'd love to see a Freddy film that's just like really, really dark in tone where mm-hmm. you really like bring it back and make him just incredibly like sinister and um and although he's a uh, a creature of fantasy like make him more like humanly evil interesting um i'm very interested when we get to a remake because that's exactly what they're trying to do right okay cool i'll i'll patiently wait for that so yeah for me this film (laughs) he started freddie took a leap into a whole new world sunglasses Oh. Pretending to be Jaws the shark with his glove. Oh my god, that whole sequence was insane! Like just so silly. The Jaws fin glove was ridiculous, and then for him to be on the beach and the camera to pan up at him with a big smile, putting on his Ray Ban. Oh, what were they thinking? It's it's. Yeah, this is the... I mean, I just don't... I'm finding it hard. I'm trying to be enthusiastic about this series. I want to yeah. be... I love all, all horror films, even shitty horror films. I love A Nightmare on Elm Street 1. And as we'll learn later, some of the other ones in this series. It's so... I'm just finding it so hard mm-hmm. to get through these movies. And I shouldn't because it's so... It's a lavish production. It's short. A bunch of weird stuff happens in it. But Freddy is just... So this is the film for me that defined Freddy to me as a kid. Um, I, I hadn't seen any of the films, but I was aware of him, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I had, I later read some of the books before I saw most of his films, as we talked about on the first one. Um, and the pizza scene in this, there's a scene where he's just hanging out with her That's at a bar. Right. They order pizza. There's little soul faces on the pizza screaming. He puts his knife finger into it, pops one and eats it. And the imagery of that, like I'd seen it somewhere. I don't know where I'd picked it up. Yeah. And it, 
lived inside me as this horrible i remember how horrible that made me feel as a kid like mm-hmm. really just disturbed and just this is what horror films are like that's what yeah, they were yeah. this is what horror films are they are disgusting and grimy and just this idea of this burnt man with claws eating mm-hmm. faces off of a pizza it really upset me really upset me so it's weird now to be watching these films again and seeing the context of it and going but it's so dumb yeah it's so silly so dumb it's not funny silly though for me anyway maybe for some people for me i'm not cheering when he's eating the faces of the pizza it's just really dumb and silly but i still get this face like i feel yeah. uncomfortable because it's ugly yeah. it's interesting you say that and like your childhood recognition of of that because watching this film coming into doing this retrospective on this series um i was born in 85 so the first it, Freddy film come out and I as I spoke about on the first podcast got an older brother and sister so you know that sort of influenced what I saw and I have very distinct memory of seeing Freddy and recognizing that character but never being sure which film to attach him from yeah watching this film um was like hitting those triggers of from what I remember of seeing this character for the first time as a kid. Yeah. And I think it's because there's so much of the dialogue, there's so much of that kind of like him playing up that sort of this the Freddy that, that has become the cultural icon. Yeah. This is the point where he became a poster child. Really, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, this, I think you're right. I think this is the point where for people like you and me who are kids, certainly not watching horror films and we shouldn't have been at that age, mm-hmm. but you become aware of him from this era onwards, like this one and yeah. the next couple of films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was weird. All, all the kind of ideas I had in my head as a child just get stirred up when I watch this movie. Mm-hmm. The, particularly after that, you have the cockroach kill as well. And that's another one where it's just, yeah, that's exactly how I thought all horror films were. Just really ugly, nasty, yeah. dirty things. Um, but there's a lot of inventiveness in this, for sure. Like it goes crazy with its ideas of the stuff that's going to happen with the dreams and things like that. Did you enjoy any of that? Is Are we talking about what we talked about before where it's just going too far? or? Um... There were elements that I enjoy. Actually, I don't know. It's it's <laughs> it's really you tough. You dropped off that cliff really quickly. Um, yeah, it's really tough. I, you know, I I mean, I liked the waterbed part maybe, because that that kind of reminded me of in the first one where, uh, Freddie tries to drown Nancy in the bath, and I just liked that because it it was. A less gory and bloody death, but equally as violent. I like that idea of, you know, and that that's terrifying to me, like being drowned, you know. So, so I liked that concept and, yeah. and seeing that that one. But the rest, yeah, just like even when he kissed the girl and he was like, "Let's suck face," and then literally mm. like, took everything as if she was a balloon. Basically. Yeah, so yeah. It's just like it was just. I mean, the creatively, the way that it was done, yeah, it was kind of cool, but I didn't sort of enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's not engaging you. Yeah. It, it sort of like reached a point with this film where it's like, I don't feel like I'm watching a horror film anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I thought it was the last one. But yeah, that's exactly... I mean, this one isn't a comic book film like the last one was, mm. um, even though it does deal with powers a little bit. But yeah, it's not a horror film anymore. I mean, it is in terms of if I was a kid, some of the imagery is horrific. Yeah. But 
Yeah, like, again, I think it just comes down to can you get behind Freddy or do you care about the characters? Mm -hmm. And I'm not caring about the characters other than the jock who's fucking brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't get behind Freddy, but Mm -hmm. I appreciate some people do. Yeah. So I think if you're getting behind Freddy and this side, this idea of Freddy, it's probably really enjoyable. You're probably cheering for all of these deaths. You're probably cheering for his one-liners. You're probably cheering for him when he's invis- being invisible and having a karate fight with a guy in a dojo. Oh my god! Um, I mean, it's, uh, on, I'm, I, I wrote down. I mean, that's what I wrote down in capital letters here on my sheets. Is I'm not cheering for the deaths. Yeah, and that's just a weird way to be with these films. Um, like when we were watching the Friday Thirteenth ones, we would be cheering eventually for the deaths and when cool things would happen and the things we would enjoy when Jason does certain cliches. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm, I kept as we've been going through this, and it may still happen. I was expecting, or me and Alex would be like, when we see those things that we like in Freddy and we know what to expect, and he always does this thing or this thing, we'll end up cheering for, yeah, like him, he's doing this thing. It's not happened yet. Nah, I'm not cheering for him. I'm not enjoying the moments that he's repeating even um well i also let's go back to even how they bring him back so he's dead dead at the beginning of this movie like he really is dead dead which i was kind of surprised he's buried in this grave um and there's just this kind of roaming element that he might still have some spirit out there but it's not powerful enough to do anything because Um, i mean they didn't even end it with any sort of twist in three other than the light turning on in the the window. light turning on in the window and that his mother was the nun. Yeah. So there's this little, you know, it just feels like there's some, he still exists, but there's no power to him. There's no form to him. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then Kincaid brings his dog into his dream and it pisses fire, as we said at the beginning, onto Freddy's grave, yeah. which brings him back to life in a very cool, like I actually really love the animation of how his body gets filled out from skeleton into person. Like, you see organs growing and then skin growing and flesh and stuff. Yeah, for me, I didn't like that. Yeah, like it? No, I was like, I, I get it, but I didn't need to see it. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I don't think, not a, as the horror film I want to see, no. <laughs> but as the goofy, dumb comic book yeah, movies okay, are getting, enough. I'm like, well, that's cool. Like, it, it was done well. Yeah, know? yeah, okay. Um, and then he comes back to life. And his one line is, you shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead. Which is, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> is that really but your mommy said for us to bury you <laughs> that's but that's it that's the explanation <laughs> yeah. a dog pisses fire onto his grave yeah and then he's you shouldn't have buried me i'm not dead people were pissed off with friday 13th part six because jason's dead and then this guy puts uh like a sort of spear through his chest and mm-hmm. lightning hits it and it brings him back to life like yeah. frankenstein people got upset with that this is a dog pissing fire <laughs> yeah and it not only brings him back to life, but it refills his entire body from just bones. It's it's incomprehensibly legacy writing. There are a million ways you can bring <laughs> yeah, Freddy back. I, I can't even fathom how this happened. Do you think they had a whole list of like, okay, you know, let's go through... Uh, people like dogs. Yeah, people like dogs. Freddy was uh, killed Freddy, in fire, Freddy so let's bring fire. it back in fire. Yeah, he needs fire to, he needs fire to come back to life. Uh, the kids are in the dream. Well, they can't bring him back to life. Oh, Kincaid, did you write in a dog? Yeah, yeah, I wrote in a dog. Okay, let's bring the dog in and the dog pisses fire. <laughs> urine, <Great. laughs> urine has secret powers. Yeah. Let's do that. Pissing dog. No, honestly, like, 
I would like to do a full hour long podcast. Just <laughs> we can't just. I mean, we're gonna have to because we don't have much time. But you can't just move on from this. You can't just see that and accept it and move on with the movie. Yeah. You've immediately told me you don't care. Yeah. And not only do you not care, like not caring would just be doing a shrug at well. He gets some power back because someone mm-hmm. sees him and they're scared of him. Well, someone moves unaccidentally unearths his grave in the junkyard. Whatever it is. That would have been so much easier. <laughs> anything. But this? Yeah. It just it doesn't even begin to make any sense. Yeah. Um, I've also... So I've highlighted on my list of notes here in, in bold the times where things happened in this movie that not that it didn't make sense because that's a lot of the movie. But things happened in this movie where they're in real life for sure... And a dream thing happens. And we picked this up at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I said, I feel like this whole movie is just a dream. Because things in real life are happening like they happen in a dream. So mm-hmm. after that, I started putting it in uh, in bold. Okay. So I'm going to say what they are quickly. Okay? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Right at the beginning, the kids are in the school. They're talking by the lockers. Um, and they have a chat um, about Freddie might still be alive. And then they walk away. And then as they walk away camera moves in on a bunch of lockers with a freddy claw mark across it mm-hmm. with red light pouring out from behind it and ominous music yeah and then they just move on nothing happened i mean did we we were both watching it so did i miss something i i'm in the exact same boat as you man i didn't get it absolutely bewildering and it doesn't it's not even effective as a scare or anything it doesn't no. mean anything and i was just well that's that means they're in a dream then, right? Then we have a little Freddy glove in the bottom of a fish tank, which is weird. I appreciate maybe that's a little Easter egg that the makers did. And yeah, that was We weren't cool. meant to pick up on it or whatever, but there's a little Freddy glove in the bottom of a fish tank. So I'm like, okay, that's also weird. Then Alice sees the chalk drawing that Kristen saw the kid draw in the opening. So mm-hmm. Kristen sees this little kid in her dream drawing the Freddy house um, outside. Which we should Freddy talk house. about, actually. Yeah, we definitely will. Um... But then Alice sees it, not Kristen, and then it disappears. Yeah. Which is a dream moment in real life. Yeah. Can I also say that is also the moment where um, Kristen's mom comes to pick her up. Goes, Kristen, get away from that house. Get in the car right now. Underlay, underlay. And then Kristen hugs a friend and says, I've got to go now. What's <laughs> yes. in the background? Her mom's car. Fucking son. Sp- speeds off. <laughs> and then she's like, bye. And starts like walking after the car. That car is like <laughs> fast and furious out of here. It's brilliant. There's a screeching tires. <laughs> um, so just after the beach scene that we talked about with the jaws knockoff and the mm-hmm. Freddy glasses. So Alice is getting, she has a mirror full of photos and postcards from her friends. After that scene uh, with Kristen, um, and Alice is called into Kristen's room, she wakes up, Alice wakes up, and there's a postcard on her mirror from Freddie. Yep. Did you see this? Yep, see you in hell. Holding Kristen, and then she grabs it, and you hear the laughter, and it it's catches an, fire, isn't it? This is another dream moment in real life. Like, it's not, it's breaking all of the Freddie rules. That's true, yeah. This is a real life moment happens. Another one. Um, we have Alice screaming in her classroom when she wakes up in real life and then all the windows explode. Yep. That's a good point. It's another one. That did happen. Um, I think there was one more, but I didn't actually write it down later on. But there's this bunch of just weird stuff happening in this film, which now that I know more about the writers, 
clearly they were just making it up as they go along. Mm-hmm. They're just like, this would look cool. Let's do this. But yep. it breaks all the Freddy rules. And if there's one thing you got to do when you're making a film like this, where you're talking about different realities and stuff and playing with that, you've got to be consistent. Otherwise, yeah. it's so confusing that everything means nothing. Yep. Which uh, is frustrating. Do you want to talk about a Freddy house? Yeah. So, Walk I mean, so the thing that, that I've certainly noticed in the last couple of films, well, actually, since the second, that Nancy's original house which is now derelict and abandoned, um, seems to be, in each of the films, a focal point for Freddy in his existence uh, to the point where, in this film, one of the girls addresses it as Freddy's home, uh, which yep. is really interesting that, it's, that the film, uh, that the house now is taking on such, like, iconic sort of status uh, between the films. Yep. When it was really only the place that Nancy lived. Yeah, in. and we've had this. I think in the last one we had the little kids were outside that house, mm-hmm. but it was just linked to Nancy still at that point. Yeah, it feels like someone just watched some bits from that movie and didn't know what the fuck they're doing when they wrote this movie. Because yeah, they treat it like it's Freddy's house, and they actually say this was Freddy's home. So unless there's some, um, we know Freddy wasn't living there when Nancy was living there, obviously, mm-hmm. or just before he died. I mean, um, because Nancy's parents were there. I mean, unless he grew up there or something, which maybe will get revealed to us in the yeah, next one. Who knows? Or unless it's the fact that his glove was put in the furnace there, but yeah, then that, that was like taken out. Yeah, and you wouldn't say this is his home. Yeah, that's weird. Well, yeah, the connection with the house, I get it thematically and visually. It's um, it makes sense to tie back to Nancy in that way. But literally, it's just it's Nancy's the only thing that connects Freddy to that house, and she's just some chick that he killed. <laughs> Like that's that's all it is. <laughs> Getting a bit mixed up. Um, it really is when you get to this point. It seems the creators don't even understand the logic or yeah. care about it. It's upsetting. Um, I do I do like the fact that Alice has nunchucks in her panty drawer. <laughs> that Very was one of my favorite bits. Let's let's say something nice about the film, shall we? You have mm-hmm. something nice you can say? Um, is there a scene you liked? Um. <laughs> No, I don't know. I really struggled with this one. Yeah. I struggled. I I struggled to find redeeming qualities in it that, you know, because if it wasn't being super cartoony, then it was just boring me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was hard to find bits that, that I liked. Um, you know, I feel like the characters were handled better than the second one. Mm-hmm. I, I found them a bit more interesting. Than the second one? Than the second one. Okay. Um, but overall, it's just... You're it, really struggling here. Yeah, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. I mean, how about you? I, I could you mentioned my favorite scene already, which was the waterbed scene. Mm-hmm. I love the waterbed scene. I yeah. actually think it's one of the best scenes we've seen in any of the films so far. Um, it definitely calls back to the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's, it's you know, you, and I don't just love it because there are boobs in it, but mm-hmm. it fulfills all the things by this point in the franchise you want. Um, he's a character who I don't like, but I don't dislike either. He's one of the more likable characters for sure, Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey, that's his name? Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, then he sees the model poster on his wall. He nods off to sleep and then she's underneath him. So he pulls back the sheets and it's, the visuals are great. You yeah, can see yeah. her naked underneath in the waterbed, like knocking at him. This kid gets the naked girl in both of these films. So God bless him. I don't know how, I don't know if it's in his contract 
<laughs> but, yeah. um, and then Freddy comes out, kills him. And then you get his mother coming in to pull back the sheets and sees him floating underneath the water. And it's haunting. Yeah. I think it's genuinely great imagery. Really fun as well. Gory in the right ways. Not mm-hmm. like the pizza thing and a cockroach and all that dumb stuff. Um, so I like, yeah, I love that scene. I actually like having the three of them back again. I think that would be great. Uh, yeah, sure. I would rather Patricia Arquette was playing it. Instead, yeah. we have, what's her name? Uh, somebody Knight. Um, she's actually a long way down. Tuesday night we have. Um, who's not great, but she's okay. Um, but I actually like having the three of them back. I would have enjoyed the film continuing their story properly. Yeah, yeah. I could have handled the passing over, as I mentioned earlier, if our lead character, Alice, wasn't just unbelievably insipid. Mm-hmm. She is so fucking useless and yeah. so insipid. There's no gusto to her. And then at the end, she's meant to become this sort of hard, hardened, you know, I've taken on everyone's powers. We have this ridiculous superhero scene, which is literally shot like when Batman's putting on all of his clothes. Yeah. She puts a belt on, she puts on the, 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 like, the wrists with studs, <laughs> she gets the bandana, and then she looks in the mirror, and this is when her friend is dying. And suddenly we're getting all these shots of the clock as if it's really important how long she's taking to do this stuff. Yeah. She goes home, changes clothes, and then looks in the mirror and then says, fucking A. Yeah. And you scoffed. I heard you scoff. (laughs) (laughs) And fucking quite right. Because it's awful. It's awful. It's so misjudged. And the thing is, I'm looking at this, I'm like, this would be fine if this was a teenage comedy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, or something fun. But it's not. You're meant to be, you're trying to play this serious and like it's scary. And then you're doing this dumb stuff. And it's directed fine, this bit. It's just so misguided. You know, which is interesting top-down shots. Rennie Harlan does quite a lot, moving mm-hmm. through the house. You could see the budget of the movie. Yeah. You know, it definitely looks more handsomer than the others um, in terms of its production value. Even from the opening scene, she's walking through Nancy's old house and billowing curtains and the lighting's good. But it's not scary and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's the best and most simple way to put it. It's not scary and it's not fun. Yeah. And what else do you have? Yeah. You know, there's nothing. The asthmatic thing you talked about where he sucks, there's like one shot of that, which I actually found a chilling when you see the person for only a second. And it looks yeah. great. But when she's all hollowed out, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's actually kind of creepy if they'd done that in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're going with that ironic thing of what is your one character trait that we give you as a writer? Oh, she has asthma. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she likes to lift weights. Well, those are the things we will kill you with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the weight girl, her arms get bent back till the bones break out. That's right. Which at least was a little bit physical, but then she turns into a cockroach. Why did she turn into a cockroach? What? I think she, was she the one who stepped on that cockroach earlier? Right, okay. I think. So I think that's like a okay. nod to um, metamorphosis. Yeah. Like it's, but fucking come on. Yeah. Come on. Um, I did forget to mention earlier when we're talking about the dog pissing scene. There's a little story about that as well. Robert Englund likes to intellectualize the revival of Freddy, saying that Kincaid's dog pissing fire in his grave was the work of some sort of hellhound. And that that's what it was meant to imply. Um, but Rennie Harlan ran into James Cameron apparently just prior to filming. And when James Cameron asked him, how are you reviving Freddy this time? Harlan gleefully replied, a dog is going to piss fire in his grave. <laughs> to which an amused Cameron walked away, completely unaware that Harlan was being honest. Fucking <laughs> hell. Oh, um, there's also some funny things as well. Apparently, actually, no, I'm not going to read that because, well, this is gossip. 
But according to Toy Newkirk, who played the asthmatic girl, Harlan claims to, uh, according to her, have asked her to go back and redub all of her lines because he didn't think she sounded, quote, black enough. Uh, he told an African-American woman to sass it up, essentially. Oh uh, infuriated, she flatly refused. Um, and after the premiere, Harlan apparently apologized to her profusely, be- presumably because he saw the film and realized it doesn't, that's not going to save your movie. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Um, I have one last good bit of info about the film, but I'll tell you at the end. Anything else? We have Freddie at the end saying the line, I am eternal. Mm-hmm. And then he died. <laughs> He does right but presumably there. he doesn't die because guessing not we have five more films to go five six seven well three more canon yeah then freddy vs jason which is it's kind of in its own world yeah and then a remake so only three more in this line in this canon line um yeah for me i've i've ring, rung here the most terrifying image so far in the whole series is robert england dressed up as a female nurse oh yeah i forgot about that <laughs> that's that just creeped me out. That was very creepy. I mean, that was cool, actually, when he turned around and as the nurse, she smiles and then you see Freddy's teeth. Yep. And then you just hear the laugh change. That was cool. Yeah, was it? <laughs> I I'm, gonna, I'm, 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 looking really for, I'm looking for something. Um, oh, yeah, the jock. The jock, my one the character jock. I like. Dan. So he turns up in the first scene, pretty much, or second, first scene when they're in real life and they call him a hunk. Yeah, Carrie, uh, Carrie, Alice, <laughs> Jim Carrey, uh, is staring at him lustfully. So she has all these weird daydreams that they never follow through with. I thought, oh, they're going to start using her daydreams. Nope. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the reason why I thought she, like seeing that, then that's what made me think of Sissy Spacek. Mm-hmm. And Carrie, and I thought she was just going to start having like these psychokinetic powers. Or yeah. Something. But no, she didn't. <laughs> and nope. then her daydreams, yeah, didn't connect. Either. She has them about a father, none of it. I thought, oh, Freddie's going to start using her daydreams. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Not. But anyway, the hunk, hunky jock is introduced here. We then, and I missed this. I blinked and missed it. You got it. He's roped into their team. Well, not really. Well, so what happens is, is uh, Kincaid and Joey have died um alice is working at a diner the jock dan comes in and he's like hey oh have you seen your brother rick and she's like no i haven't seen him and he's like okay, okay tell him i'm looking for him my name's dan and she's like oh and she's all got a crush uh and she's finishing her shift dan and his buddy go and sit down then rick and Kristen come in uh and alice goes over to them uh and rick's like kincaid and joey have died could you keep an eye on Kristen? To the jock? No, to, to, Alice. to Alice, to his sister. And the jock just And the jock this? like calls him over okay. because he was looking for him. Okay. And they start chatting, uh, which we don't hear. And and Alice and Kristen have a conversation and Kristen's like, it's the dreams, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then like kind of gesture for Rick to like, come on, let's go. And the jock's just and with the him? the jock guy just gets up and <laughs> follows them. Oh, did you mean me too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's how I read that moment. That's, oh, yeah, because I blinked. I was like, well, hang on. How are they all friends suddenly and hanging out? And then he's just there in almost every scene after that. And then he turns that. over like the funeral and... Doing nothing. He just stands in the background and looks lost. Yeah. Occasionally, he has the occasional line. And then he's roped in sort of as her 
weird almost boyfriend just suddenly and then they're trapped in this loop but they keep doing the same thing again and again and again and we keep seeing the same scene again and again and again until she realizes oh we're both dreaming and freddy's just trying to keep us distracted Mm -hmm. which i actually like that idea that's the kind of thing of cool they're playing more with what you can do in dreams yeah other than by this point i was just so bored Mm -hmm. (laughs) that to then see the same scene again and again and again i'm like oh my god are you kidding me are you fucking kidding it's just ridiculous and then the jock nearly dies he gets cut up for her and he's just i love him i love him he's just adorable he has seems to have no idea what's going on he just moved into town from the looks of things yeah because he starts hemorrhaging, but then he's disappearing. And I thought he was dying at that point. That's because he's coming alive again. But he, this, yeah, he's coming back to life and he wakes up. He's like, I've got to go back there. And they're like, you? And the doctor leans over him and he's like, yeah, it was a tough one, but you made it through. Both so. doctors lean in. They lean in together. <laughs> yeah. The doctor and the nurse just like together in unison <laughs> lean right in close to him. It's so funny. Um, God bless him. He's just He yeah. just looks so lost. Like... And you never see him doing any, you know, you learn nothing about him other than he's a hunk. Not yeah. one thing do you learn about him or his backstory or who he is as a person. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. And you never see him at home or with parents. So it just seems like he has nowhere to go. Yeah. It really does. You just, every time you pan to him, he's just standing in the street waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and he survived. Yeah. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Don't piss off anyone. Have no back history. No. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my last piece of news that I have, well, not news, um, fact, fun fact, shall we say. When this movie started, a cool little song kicked off. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so in the last one, we talked about how the setup, uh, the title, the music, Patricia Arquette, that whole sequence, bang, I was in like that, sold. This one... Oh, and then I talked about with like Freddy 2, Freddy's Revenge, that title came up, shitty title, looked bad. I was already like, mm. this one was kind of the same because it was like title, they're like Freddy mm-hmm. Claw comes down, title comes up. And then that song. Yes, yeah, share what the song is about. Because it was just the like, song? the song was so like one of those classic soundtrack songs where it's just deliberately written for the... Yeah. So like running in shadows, chased <laughs> by a man with knives. Yeah. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Yeah. Don't like the line was like, "Don't put, don't let him put your hand, don't, don't let him put your hand, his hand on you, or something like that." Yeah, it's just, it's awful. Here's a little story about it. Okay, so Tuesday night had the unenviable task of replacing Patricia Arquette in the role of Kristen, um, and although she was a poor substitute, uh, she did bring something that Arquette couldn't. She sang on the soundtrack. So the daughter of a famous songwriter, Knight scored a record deal in 1984 and her debut came out in 1987. After being cast in Dreammaster, she shared some of her music with Rennie Harlan and company just in case they didn't know she was also a singer. They liked what they heard and asked her to come up with anything she could for the movie. So she and her writing partner banged out Nightmare, which is what the song was called, in two hours (laughs) and let Harlan listen to it. She never heard anything again about it until she went to the premiere and heard her song Nightmare playing over the opening credits. Oh, oh boy. So $40 million and they couldn't even afford a real song. They used something she did in two hours. They didn't even go back and go, that's cool. Can you do it properly now? Yeah, yeah. Like, it explains yeah. a lot. Just re-record it. You know, day, 
the lyrics don't have to be as literal to the song, uh, to the film. Uh, but yeah, man, otherwise we like it. No, we'll just use it. No, they just used it without even telling her. Jeez. I think you need to ask for rights as well. <laughs> I don't think. Oh my God. All right, Alex. Anything else you want to say about this one? Signing um, off? No, I mean, I mean, that's it. It's sort of... I, w- I was really disappointed because I liked three a lot. Mm. Um, this one had more money. Had a good director. Had a good writer. Yeah, no. Did they have a good writer? I don't know. No, that was the last one I get modeled. Don't know who wrote this one. No, yeah. Didn't you say this writer went on to write Mystic River and all that? No, this was by a bunch of different people. No, it's on the last one. It was written by this dude. He wrote, oh, yeah, he wrote... Uh, sorry, my bad. L.A. Confidential. Uh, Robin Hood, Mystic River, Man on Fire. Yeah, good stuff. So, good team. Should be a good film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alex. Yes. First of all, before we ask if you recommend this film, in case people can't tell which way you're <laughs> erring, what do you want to happen next? How can they rescue the franchise from here? Well, it's re- it's tough because... You know, they've played with this whole Freddy dying thing twice now, as far as like... Properly dying. Properly dying. And he was so poorly <laughs> and comedically resurrected in this one. I mean, how do they save that? I mean, for me, it's it's like I said after the second one, like just go back to... to like what I want to see is it just going back to the simple rules of like the first one of he's purely engaged in, in just killing these kids in his dreams, grounding it back in that reality um, and and pulling him back. That's what I want to see, but I know it's not going to happen. Okay. Just like, Do you want him to be more in the shadows, more subtle? Yeah. Do you want... Um, how did they kill him in the end of three? I'm forgetting now. End of three, he... Um, oh, my God. This is ridiculous. If we can't remember how they killed him at the end of three. You think about Oh, that? no, they buried him. Oh, yeah, they bury him and they do the thing. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Him dying here, it was really dumb, the mirror thing. Mm-hmm. Incredibly dumb. The actual effect of his souls pulling him to pieces. I started off hating it, and by the end, I was like, oh, actually, this is kind of like... The effects was well were well done. Yeah. Uh, there's a famous huge body replica they had to make to put the real people inside for the close-ups as they're pushing through. Yeah, cool. There's also a famous girl who went on to star in some other uh, horror franchises. Uh, who has who's the naked girl inside his chest with very large nipples mm-hmm. that marks out? She became a bit of a like a fan favorite of the series <laughs> with the girl inside the belly. Um, yeah, the effects are kind of cool, mm-hmm. but yeah, just none. Of, I mean, the lot. I think three was the only time where you feel like, yep, that is him done. Yeah, yeah. You know, that felt like a poetic way to take him out, albeit a weird. You know, I didn't really love it, but a poetic way at least. I, I think I just wanted to be smaller. I just wanted it to be more about just a very small amount of people. Maybe get rid of the parents. Put them in a place where all the non parents around. I'm so bored of them having to convince people who aren't convinced mm-hmm. that Freddy's real. I'm so bored of that. Yeah. I just want to see a bunch, a small, a small bunch of people. I'm finding there's too many characters for me to really attach to anybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Like since, I mean, the first one was great because it was what four people. Four, yeah, mostly. Yeah. Four main characters. Um, and that kind of contained feel and the panic of, of, of each of them dropping off and them kind of realizing that was, was cool. Like easy to follow, I guess. 
I'd be interested. Um, I mean, I skipped this answer a lot with stuff. I gave it with my Friday Thirteenth where I wanted it to go, but I'd be interested in one set over just twenty four hours, where you're coming in, someone already knows about this, and you're really just dealing with like one night of nightmares between yeah. like a small group of people. You could do weird stuff with this. You could have a group of kids who have who've like no one believes them. They've made a slumber party somewhere where parents are. They've decided they figured out how they're going to tackle Freddy, and you come in right at that point, and they're just going into war basically against mm-hmm. him. But it's really just you know, it's it's shot like it follows or something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. You could do something like that with the, these movies. I've got a feeling it's not what's going to happen with the Nightmare on Elm Street Five, The Dream Child. Although <laughs> <laughs> they took away the five, I think, for this one, it's just the Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child. Came out the next year as well, so another one-year rotation cost a lot less money they make the next one for just six million dollars so production value is going to be down not sure if there's anyone famous involved yet but we'll see but alex that's next week right now you just have to let people know do you recommend that people watch a nightmare on elm street for the dream master uh no i would not recommend this i to be look to be honest i would probably much sooner recommend they go see two um before they watch this also because for the first half of two with a few bits here and there that are really awful which if you listen to number two podcast you'll find out but i like how freddy's revealed and used in that although it does follow a lot of sort of similar beats to the first one there's a much better and more sinister freddy so in this i wouldn't recommend it because this is really the turning point for me where mm. he becomes cartoonish and it becomes um, like you kind of mentioned about the punchline of each kill and the gag of each kill. Um, He's a talk show host now. That's really how he becomes, yeah. you know? He's so, like, hey, I'm here to guide you through this shit. So, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. I like how I couldn't tell if you're toying for a second, man, we're changing <laughs> Yeah, Don't kid no. yourself. I mean, it's like this whole podcast. I've been going, trying to go points that are at least a bit redeeming. But but for me, it's like it's it's not a great film, and it's not a great. Even if you just were like, mm, I'm in the mood for a horror. Yep. No, like don't watch this film. So I'm actually going to not recommend this film. <laughs> No, it's a horrible <laughs> film. This is a dreadful film. It yeah. really is. Um, despite the fact that it's the best looking out of all of them so far, just from a production point of view, not from an artistic point of view, and I think, although it has its moments, I think the ideas in it are okay. Um, not as bad as it might well get in the next couple of movies. We'll see. Um, you know, and it has some talent behind it, but it's just such it's just such a mess. It's mm-hmm. obviously rushed, and it's just not where I want Freddy to go. I I appreciate it. if you're a Freddy fan, and like we said in the last one, if you like jokey Freddy, you like him doing gags, you like him being more Looney Tunes style. This is really, I mean, he's there a bit in three, but this is the real birthplace of that. This is the first time you get stuff where you just drop of the jaw. What <laughs> did mm-hmm. he really just do that or say that? So if you're into that, then this will probably appeal to you. And I think it's important in the nightmare history because of those moments, because of iconic things that happen in it, like the pizza um, and things that really did transcend out of the genre to popular culture, uh, particularly in the 80s and 90s. But no, it's a fucking horrible movie. I don't recommend it as a film. It didn't scare me. I didn't have fun with it other than the occasional scenes. I think the waterbed seems excellent. If you enjoy Nightmare on Elm Street 1, 
go to YouTube and, and watch the war bed scene in this because it's good fun. Yeah. Um, but no, disappointed. 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 <laughs> Um, you can join us next week hopefully you're watching these along with us we'll be doing a nightmare on Elm Street 5 the dream child because they can't do any title without dream <laughs> the title um, you can also go on our website we are tessellate with two s's two l's we are tessellate and there you can link out to all of our social medias we're on YouTube as well uh, and you can link to that and you can subscribe to our channel if you want to watch the video versions of this enjoy us playing with our Freddy Claw when we get bored <laughs> during a podcast uh, we do a weekly show called Geeks with a bunch Geeks. of other people from our team. We talk about movies, talk about video games. That's topical. And we are a production house based out of LA. LA. Based out of Tokyo. Tokyo. Based out of London. London. <laughs> That's how we say it in London. <laughs> um, I've been Al White. I was about to say I've been Alexander Chard, but I've not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Al White. It's my I've friend. I've Alexander Chard. And we'll see you next week. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We're out. Oh boy. This one, I, I just know this one's gonna be the worst.